I want to challenge you today with a scripture that I believe is really, really so important to who we are in Christ. And it's found in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Our scriptures will be up on the screen as we can, I think, work it together. <laughs> Amen. And um, I've been, uh, he's been asking me every week for the scriptures, so I, I really made up for it this week. I gave him a pile of scriptures. So, and I promised to share on each one of them for 15 minutes. So we're here for a long time today. No, no I'm kidding. It's just a point of reference. 1 John 4, verse 7 through 19. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I shared the whole context there, because I didn't want to take the scripture or that part out of context, uh, And I want you to understand the part that says, because as he is, so are we in this world. I think there's a lot of times we as Christians may believe that, you know, someday we'll be like him in glory, in heaven, in eternity. Well, that's true. But today we can be like him as he is. So are we in this world. It's very specific in this world. So I want to share this with you today. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks, so is he. As a man thinks, so is he. What do you think about yourself? How do you see yourself today? Do you see yourself as a man, woman of God? Do you see yourself as mighty in the Lord? Do you see yourself as a child of God, not just a distant acquaintance, but a child of God? Do you see yourself that way today? So understanding these things is very important to our ability to be able to walk in the fullness of what God has. I I am still watching farmers right now sowing seed into the ground. They're still planting up in the county and, and their tractors are going, the planters are going and so forth. And, and they are sowing seed and they will take care of what they have placed in the ground all summer long until harvest comes. I share that for a reason today. We have been given the opportunity to be able to be gardeners of what's going on in our own lives. We must be, or we must be faithful in allowing the things that would hinder, prevent, cripple, crush, whatever it may be, those crops. We must be faithful to uproot these things. Now, the word of God is the seed that we plant in our hearts. The seed will produce the nature of God in us. As He is, so are we. But that comes because of the Word of God. And because of the Word of God, we're able to tend the garden. Tend the garden of our minds. Weeding out the stuff that doesn't belong there. You've heard the phrase probably many times. I'm not the one who authored this. I don't even know who authored it. Authored this, but stinking thinking. How many know what I'm talking about? How many have ever had stinking thinking? Thank you for your honesty. I think the rest of us, we know we've had, but stinking thinking, you know, thinking the thoughts that are not not talking about in the gutter all the time, 
but thoughts that are contrary to the will or the plan of God for our lives. You know, like this. God's view of me is totally different than my view of me. But I tend to walk in my view only and not necessarily in God's. We, every one of us, are children of God. We know that. But that means that we have great responsibility, but also great blessings. I shared the last time I was here. But I've got to remove the thoughts that are contrary to the Word of God. As He is, so are we. As a man thinks, so is he. So how are you thinking? What are you thinking about yourself? As a young child growing up in Fort Kent, and, and I'm going to share this. I'm not, I'm not embarrassed by this. It is what it is. My, my parents had nine children living. My mom had lost three uh, prematurely, but nine living. Eight boys, one girl. Praise the Lord that there were eight boys and only one girl. <laughs> and all the guys said amen and the girls said move on. Right? We were not a rich family. My dad worked as a jack-of-all-trades, master of non-farmers, mechanic, and so forth. But he worked, provided as much as he can for the family, but he worked. We lived what they would call back then. Now there's no difference because I think all the tracks have been removed. But on the other side of the tracks. We were not rich when it came to material things. But we didn't know any different as kids growing up. We didn't know we were poor because everybody around us lived the same way. Dads were going off to work, making a living, providing for the family the best that they could. But, you know, we were all happy together. But I remember as I was approaching my teenage years, something clicked. And it could have been a negative thing. But I changed it. And I was not a Christian at the time. But I believe I applied a Christian um, principle that helped me in my teenage years. I began to realize that we were on the other side of the tracks. I began to realize that people I went to school with had more than we did. Some flaunted, some didn't. And the line was being drawn in attitude. As far as, well, you know, even in our poverty, we can be prideful. Understand what I'm talking about? You know, sometimes we always look at the people who have and think of them as being proudful, but that's not true. The attitude that we had. And I remember one day I was talking to two of the kids my age that grew up on the other side of the tracks. Their parents were businessmen in the community. And I remember talking to them and somebody asked me from my side of the tracks, what are you doing talking to those guys? And it, it came as a revelation just like this. I went, this is deep, folks. Okay, this is deep. Get ready. I said, there's nothing different between them and myself. When those boys get up in the morning, they have to put their pants on the same way I do. Hello? That was an easy mindset. That set me free from having that line drawn. And it also allowed me to grow beyond my present condition. Where I made a commitment. I will not live the way my parents lived. I wasn't a Christian then. It's a biblical principle. 
As a man thinks, so is he. How are you thinking about yourself? Do you see yourself as just, well, an average Joe, an average person? You know, I'll never amount to anything. You know, God is just going to pass me by, you know, because I live over here or I live over there. And, and, you know, the blessings of God are really not for me. They're more for them. Hello? Now, I just got quiet in this church. Because I know I'm talking to some of you. Do we see ourselves as being vessels of God? We know that God dwells within us. We know that the anointing of God is within us. But do we really see ourselves as mighty people of God? Do we see ourselves with that ability to be able to prosper body, soul, and spirit? I know people who have been Christians for 50 years who are poor spiritually. They haven't gotten past certain scriptures. And they're great scriptures, but there's more to the depth of what God has for us. There's more to the riches. Don't limit yourself. Don't limit God. Many people limit themselves as what they think they can do. And they gauge their lives by that. Well, I could never do that. Really? Who says you could never do that? How many have ever had someone tell you, listen, you're not smart enough to do that? And how do you respond to words like that? Well, you can find a corner somewhere and cry. Or you can rise up to the challenge and say, I'm going to prove you wrong. I am going to prove you wrong. I've done that many times. I, when I moved to, back to Arusa County, I, I left the county and moved to Medway. <clears throat> Some of you will get that later. <laughs> and and uh, when I, <laughs> I had accepted the call of God to the ministry, studying for the ministry in Medway, the Bible School of Medway. And um, I was allowing myself to be trained by God. And then finally an opening uh, presented itself. And I moved back to the county. Arusta County, for those of you who may not know where the county is. There's only one county in Maine. <clears throat> the rest are suburbs of Arusta County. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to be tarred and feathered, right, before I leave here. <laughs> but when, when I moved back, preachers said this to me. Preachers who had been in the county for years. You're not going to last six months. I'm thinking, I'm 25 years old, and you're telling this young preacher now, uh, you've got the words of wisdom that I'm not going to last six months. I'm going to prove you wrong. I mean, it was probably my stubbornness. But I made it work for me. I'm going to prove you wrong. Because I knew, number one, God had called me back to the county. And I remember when six months came. I was smiling. Now, I didn't go rub it in their face. I didn't call them up and say, hey, six months. Anniversary date. I'm still here. Then six years showed up. I was still there. Twenty-nine years now. I'm still there. I give them a call now, yeah. <laughs> well, some of them moved out. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? There's a determination that we need to have in our, as a man thinks, so is he. But we limit ourselves by the words of people. Now, I could have been offended and I could have been moved by these preachers. Some of them have been preaching for 30 years. And I'm thinking, what do they mean? And here's the other word of encouragement they gave me. Arusta County is the graveyard of preachers. 
I thought, well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. But I thought, you know, why does it have to be that? Just because that's what was going on doesn't mean that that needs to continue. Understand what I'm saying? What's going on in your life right now doesn't mean it has to continue for an eternity. Are you willing to say, listen, I'm not going to limit myself by what people, culture, or what other you know, friends may be saying or enemies might be saying. I'm going to position myself with the Word of God, understanding that I can be in this world, in this life, like He wants me to be. I don't have to submit to all these things that may want to put me down. Many people limit themselves to what they think they can do. You know, you tell the person who's failed a hundred times, but yet succeeded that hundred and first time. You tell him that he's a failure. He'll look at you and laugh. Our world, our history is full of people who failed and failed and failed, but did not live in the failure Push themselves forward to see God move. No matter what's happening around you. Make it a habit. A faith habit. Of allowing yourself to prosper body, soul, and spirit. Every part of you, who you are, is growing. Is being successful. Is positioned to see the blessings of God. Take your eyes. By faith, take your eyes off of what seems so big. And begin to put your eyes back on God, who is bigger. I had a nice little illustration to this this week. One of my grand, we had three of the grandsons staying with us this week as mom was in the hospital. Um, and so one of them uh, is three years old. And I was down in the basement and he was upstairs with Claudette and his brothers. And all of a sudden I heard this shrill scream. It reminded me in my mind, I thought, Somebody slammed the door in his fingers, you know, like a kid would scream, you know, in pain. And so I rushed upstairs. I said, what's going on? He's running. He's screaming. And I can't understand a word he's saying. And finally, his brother says he saw an ant. I'm thinking, OK, so I, I got a hold of him. I said, relax. No, no. And he's all I mean, he's all so finally calmed him down. A couple hours later, he's sitting in a different place and he sees another ant. And the same thing all over again. I said, we're going to take care of this. This is Babin's psychology right here. Okay? You ready for this? I do not have a degree. Okay? But I had the answer. I brought both of them outside. Around my property, along the woods, there's a couple anthills. I threw them down on the anthill. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of you are thinking that, right? Some of you are thinking that's what he did. No, I, I looked at him and I said, now look, look at all the ants coming out of these holes. See how little they are? See how big you are? And he's about that tall. Do you see the difference? Yeah. I said, now, here's what I want you to do to the ants when you see them. Instead of screaming, I told him this, I said, instead of screaming like a girl. Hello. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please forgive me. <laughs> no. I said, look at them and put your foot right on them. And so he took his foot and put it right on the anthill. He said, like this? I said, yeah. So, figuring he'd done the damage already. I'm not raising ants. He started jumping on this anthill, just stomping and stomping and stomping. They got done. I mean, this anthill was flat. And a lot of dead ants. I'm sure there was a whole lot more underground, but we didn't bother them. 
I mean, we do have compassion. And so I said, follow me. So we went to another anthill. I had to do it all over again. The next time he saw an ant on our back, uh, our deck out back, he's sitting there and he says, oh, look, an ant. He didn't scream. He walked right over to it. Psychology 101. (laughs) Amen. I gave him the answer instead of freaking out, instead of getting all emotional and losing control, I gave him the authority to go ahead and take care of the ants. But you see, a lot of times we, we have our, 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 our eyes on this little, and, and again, I share this with respect. Everything we go through seems big. So when I say little problem, it's a big problem to us, but it looks bigger than what it is. But we have these, these circumstances, these problems, and we take our eyes off of God. We take our eyes off of who we are. And we don't respond properly. Now my grandson has overcome the fear of ants. Because I showed him who he was. Bigger than an ant. That makes sense to you? Maybe a simple little illustration, but it works. Now, getting to the meat of this. I've got a few minutes. Uh, getting to the meat of this. How do you see yourself today? You know, we know the story of the children of Israel. The spies went out, spied the land, and they reported back to Moses. You know, Moses, it's exactly like you told us it was going to be. But. How many know that? But. There are giants in the land. They responded as if God had no clue that there were giants in the land. That God forgot about the giants in the land. They lost out on the blessing. Their kids went in and possessed the land. The giants were still there. And that's another message in itself. If I'm going to walk into the place that God wants me to be, with authority, I've got some principles to share with you today. And I, and I pray you write these down. This is very important. Understand, number one, or recognize, God is your source for everything you need. Body, soul, and spirit. Too many times we think a little worldly. We get in a world mindset. Now, thank God that there are principles out there that work for us. But in the end, God is my source. You're very familiar with the scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. This explains it right here. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plan and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future plan of God. What's my plan? The plan of God is good. What's my plan? God is my source. So everything I connect with, God's plans are to prosper me. God's plans are to give me hope and a future. Those are the plans of God. We may have different plans. We know Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all my need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So who's my source for everything that I need? Hello? God. He's our source. So if I'm going to be as He is, I've got to lean on Him for everything that I need to get there. Second thing, the Word of God, folks. I can never stress this enough. I've been preaching now for over 30 years. 
And I found out that there is a famine in the land for the Word of God. Not because we don't have it. Because we're not reading it. We're not studying it. We're not applying it. The Word of God. We have access to books and Bibles and now our, our smartphones and our tablets and so forth. I mean, I, I often think, you know, uh, the, the availability that's out there. I remember when I was given my first Bible. I wasn't a Christian. But I remember when I was given my first Bible. It was called the Douay Version. I don't even know what the Douay Version is. It was a Bible. Uh, actually, the translation came before the, the King James English. And it was given to me by my grandmother, Catholic grandmother. And uh, it was technically a Catholic Bible, but without the Mass in between. It had a few extra books. You know, and I, I looked at that, and I'm thinking, a Bible. I'm 11 years old. What do I need a Bible for? I think, and by yet, I, I started reading that Bible. I'd put it away for a while, and then I'd read it. I'd put it away, I'd read it. But I started to cherish it even before I became born again. The Word of God. And since I've been a born-again Christian, now the Word of God has more meaning to me. I'm called as a Christian to renew my mind daily. How do I renew my mind in the right way? Through the Word of God. As a man thinks, so is he. I know too many Christians who think themselves as failures in Christ. Hopeless in Christ. Understand what I'm saying? Too many Christians, and it's because they're not renewing their mind with the Word of God. Taking that thinking again, that right thinking, and allowing the Word of God to come in. It's like, you know, I choose to move closer to what God has for me instead of moving away or staying neutral. Joshua 1 and 8, and I'm going to read it out of the Amplified. This was a command to Joshua as he's getting ready to lead the people of God. The book of the law, God's word, will not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then, everybody say then. Okay, after the meditation upon the word, then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will deal wisely and have good success. We're making too many decisions from up here. Instead of the wisdom that comes from the Word of God. Seek first, Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. How do I know how the kingdom of God responds? In 29 years of pastoring the same church, I have seen emotions at work in the body of Christ. I've seen the lack of wisdom operate amongst Christians. I have seen people deal with the wrong wisdom and have seen the mess that it creates. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things. As I learn the Word of God, as I'm in the Word of God, I find the right ways of God. I find how God operates as He is, so am I in this world. I don't want to think like Mark Babin. I want to think the way God wants me to think. So in order to think that through, you know, the computer is only as smart as the information you put in. Hello? It's only as smart as the information you put in. Some of us fear a computer. I've never feared the computer because I always knew where the power button was. <laughs> Listen, and I'm not a whiz on computers. 
But, you know, if I want a certain program to work for me, I install the program. Then it works for me. It's the same as a Christian. If I don't install the Word of God in my heart, I will not know the ways of God. I may go general, you know, and and sometimes misinterpret the nature of God and the ways of God, but allowing myself to meditate on the Word of God, allowing myself to be in that place where God can prosper me, body, soul, and spirit. It's the same way with churches. You want to see this church grow? Let's learn to meditate on the Word of God. Let's learn to meditate on the ways of God and watch what God does. Prosper body, soul, and spirit in this work. The next thing is that we as individuals need to stop giving God a target. Excuse me while I borrow this. Lord, this is how we approach God sometimes. I've thought about it. This is what I want to do with my life. Please bless it. That sounds like a good prayer, but it's way off. Hello? God has only promised to bless His will. If this is not His will, He will not bless it. Hello? Is that an awakener today? I can't say, Lord, you know, and here's a spiritual dartboard. And I've got my dart in hand. Lord, where this dart lands, let it be Your will. God doesn't operate that way. I need to chart, listen, the course by what God has deposited in my heart. God promises to give me the desires of my heart, but God also says that I need to delight myself in Him, and He will give me the desires of my heart. There's that delighting in God, the will of God. Uh, Proverbs 16:9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In the end, it's God, it's not me. Telling God what to do. Hello? I can't tell God what to do. I've known too many people say, well, you know, I'm just going to do this. And if God's not in it, he'll stop me. He'll give me a warning. He'll do whatever. And they continue to do it. And God hasn't done anything because really they're trying to bargain with God. What's wrong with seeking God and finding out what the plans of God are? And then launching out. That's the proper way, folks. The other way is backwards. Too many people have messed their lives because they thought they were doing the will of God and they didn't. Again, this is all part of who we are. I want to be the way He wants me to be. As He is, so are we. As He is, not was, not will be, is in the present, so are we. I'm going to move on to the next step here. I'm going to skip a few scriptures for you. This is probably the most difficult principle in determining that we're going to be like Him. I want you to hear this. This is so important. I've gotten a lot of flack for sharing this point in times past. Harold will will confirm that. Not that he gave me the flack, but he'll confirm it. Every one of us at times have been dealt the wrong hand in life. Hello? Things haven't gone the way we thought it was going to go. Some of us choose to sit in that atmosphere of what has gone wrong. I've got a spiritual saying. As a matter of fact, I've actually developed a message 
on this saying. A whole message dealt dealing with this. And it's this. Get over it and move on. First time I preached that, a lady came back to church a couple weeks later. She had little stickers about the size of the business card. You could peel the back and you know, put them. They were very reflective. And they said this. They said, I saw this and I thought of you. And she bought me a whole bunch of them. I actually put one in my another ranger that I had. And, and um, it said, cry me a river, build a bridge, and get over it. <laughs> I thought... You know, it's easy to say. And I remember one time I shared that and one lady came to me and she says, Pastor Mark, that is so wrong. And she began to politely rebuke me. I'm good for that. And I looked at her and I said, I understand what you're saying. It's easier said than done. I know that. Because in order to get over it, I've got to make a decision to get over it. But I said, what you're dealing with, you've been dealing with for 20 years. Isn't it time to get over it? I lost her as a friend. I don't know why. I caused her to realize she still didn't want, she still has not gotten over it. And it's probably been 10 years since I shared that with her. Her life is a mess. Her marriage was on the rocks. She's lost a relationship with her family. But I'm the wrong one for saying, cry me a river, build a bridge, and get over it. Understand what I'm saying? These are decisions. This is, hard. this is the hardest point of this message right here. Because it causes us to think about what do I have to do to make that decision. I can sit and sulk. Or I can purpose. Jesus never sat in a corner and cried. About the circumstances. Well, that was Jesus. Well, praise God. I'm glad you realized that. The disciples, the apostles, once in a while got there, but they were sternly rebuked by somebody else, saying, get over it. Move on. If I'm going to be like Him, I've got... There's a time, yes, of, you know, that, that meditation and that, that, that you know, uh, allowing yourself to consider what's going on and to think about it, but I'm not called to pitch the tent there. I'm not called to build a home there. As I shared earlier, when you go through these things, it's always through them, not staying in them. And so when I'm willing to do that, and again, this is the hardest one, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of times, a lot of us say, well, you know, I wish I could have done this better. I wish, you know, things were like this. How many of you would like to go back 10 years and change a few things? Hello, all of us would. But I can't do it. So what I've been given is today. I don't even have tomorrow. So today I choose to stop living in the mistakes of the past, the failures of the past, and I choose to move on. I get over it. I have been wronged, so have you. You've been talked about, so have I. I mean, we could list them today of all the things that people have done, and most of those people have been Christians. Hello? Can you imagine if God allowed you to remain mad or angry at every Christian that hurts you? How long's your list? 
Think about how long's your list? A lot of us, I mean, we'd have quite the list. But as he is, so are we. Well, praise God. You mean, you mean, Pastor, you've, you've never been, I have been hurt at times as an individual, as a pastor, as a Christian. But, you know, I chose to get over it. Because, you know, there's something that's very precious to me in life. Outside of my relationship with God and my relationship with my wife and family, there's something that's precious. It's called sleep. I, will, I refuse to lay awake at night thinking about the wrongs of people in my life. I refuse it. I mean, you know, those of you who are over 40 will understand what I'm talking about, that, you know, you don't get the 10 hours of sleep anymore. Hello? You know, I, I can go to bed at 8 o'clock in the evening, and guess what? 3 o'clock, I'm starting. It's time to get up. You know, sun's coming up. Time to get up. You know, burning daylight. Let's go here. But, you know, it's, it's that, that thing where I refuse to let the people's mistakes towards me or whatever they felt towards me to hinder my sleep. And by that, I mean to hinder my life. I choose to get over it. Now, again, it is a process. I don't want to live in that stuff. My past is not the prophecy of my future. Write that down. That's good. My past is not the prophecy of my future. Okay, so as I allow myself to get over it and move on, Paul said it this way, Philippians 3, verse 13. This one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Did you get it? I forget. I forget. The people who have wronged you, I'm telling you, folks, I've been there. There's more peace in forgiveness and forgetting than there is in hanging on because you were hurt. And God's people said, Amen. There's a strength that comes. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. That's a moving forward. Now, we have eagles uh, in the river uh, on the island. They've got several, there's several eagles now around our home. And, and just I can sit back sometimes on my back lawn and, and I can watch them. You know, they're not moving. Their wings are spread, and they're just soaring. They're soaring over the river. Another one will join them. They're soaring over the, the river. You know, and there's very little effort because they've caught the wind. It's carrying them upward. Are you getting the message? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like the eagle. And listen, we're called not only to soar, but we're called to move forward, to run, to walk. How many have ever gone for a long walk? I'm in a long walk. Ten miles. Let's make it a long one. A mile, maybe. A long walk. We all have. How many have felt that, that weariness come upon you? You know, the... Your spirit is so willing, but your flesh is getting weak. 
How many of you ever, you know what I'm talking about? And then you catch a second wind. And you can walk and walk and walk. You know, to be able to walk as a Christian and not faint. To be able to come to that place, that's, that's getting over some things. If I'm weighed down by the past, I can't walk as freely as I want to. You know, I, uh, we did that Project Grad last Sunday evening. And, of course, uh, there's some guys there, some 18-year-old boys. And it was about 2 o'clock, or somewhere around 2 o'clock in the morning. Now, we've been going all day and, of course, going all night. They had one of those inflatable houses, you know, that you can bounce in and so forth. I even went in and uh, enjoyed myself for about five minutes until I ran out of steam. Uh, <laughs> there's not much steam at 2.30 in the morning. So, but all of a sudden there's two boys in there. And they're just running as fast. As, I said, are you guys on crack or something? I mean, it's like they had that supernatural. They were just running and running. It's 2.30 in the morning. One of them had been at a state track meet that day before. Gotten little sleep. Up all day Sunday, I'll tell you one thing, an hour later, they crashed. They were done for. They were now dragging their feet. There was no more strength. As we wait on the Lord, we don't have to worry about crashing. Amen? We continue to walk. We continue to run. We continue to soar. Allow yourself, I'm sharing these points with you, allow yourself to speak words of life. There's power in our words. I can kill or I can speak life. I can destroy you or I can encourage you. Just by what comes out of my mouth. Can you imagine? How many of you have had some sharp words in your direction? We all have. I don't want to be one who speaks sharp words. I want to speak blessings. Speak the word of the Lord. Speak blessing. Let the law, there's a spiritual law at work here, of words work for us and not against us. I used to hear this from people at church years ago and, and uh, when I first started pastoring. I'd say, Pastor, I've got no friends. And part of me would say, I know why, but, you know, being the nice, compassionate, loving pastor that I am, I was uh, trying to be very diplomatic and I'd, I'd say, well, you know, why is that? Let's talk about this. You know, let's, let's come to the bottom. I already knew what the answer was. And I came up to this conclusion. If you want friends, be friendly. You attract people. You've got a sour look on your face all the time. And, and just, you know, when people get within 50 feet of you, all of a sudden they start repelling. You're probably not going to attract too many people. The words that you say, if somebody comes up to you well-meaning and gives you a compliment and you cut them down, they're probably not going to come back and give you another compliment. You follow me? There's a power in words. I can speak life or I can speak death. I can speak life over my situation. I can choose to speak the Word of God or I can speak my own feelings or my own emotions, which usually will produce a death or produce something that doesn't work for me. Proverbs 18.21 out of the message says it this way, Words kill, words give life. There is either poison or fruit. You choose. You choose. To have the ability to walk up to somebody... That if you let your flesh take over, you'd like to slap them on the side of the head. Hello? And to embrace them as Christ would. That's the challenge. Think about it. To embrace them with the love of God. As He is, so are we. 
None of us in this room today, and I've been scanning right now for the last half hour, none of us are perfect, right? I mean, maybe the perfect one is hiding under the seat because they're so humble about it. But you understand what I'm saying? There's none of us perfect. But I thank God that He wrapped His arms around me. To have to embrace people that are different than you. You know, I, I, uh, a couple, well, I say about a year ago, a little over a year ago, a couple came to my office with one of my board members. They wanted to meet me. I knew who they were. I'd never met them before. And I sat down in my office. Introductions were made. And all the while I'm thinking, you know, 15 years ago, I could not have done this. These people, and again, please hear me out. Do not make a quick judgment of what I'm going to say. Hear my whole story. These people ran a tattoo parlor in our town. The motorcycle gangs and so forth. And again, I'm not against motorcycles. I have a motorcycle license. Please don't misjudge what I'm going to say. But this gentleman had tattoos all over his body. And some of them were not Christian tattoos. You know what I'm saying? They weren't the right, all over the And he's pretty much bald, but he will not reveal now as a Christian. He's a Christian now, but he will not reveal what's on his head to the public anymore. Because he had his head tattooed, and I guess it's not pretty. It's not Christ-like. So he wears that, you know, bandana, that cover that motorcyclists will wear sometimes. But he's got tattoos all over. And, and uh, they got saved a few years ago. They were going to a church, and the church was very straight-laced, and they didn't fit in. You understand why, right? <laughs> they just didn't fit in. The wife was a bit younger than he. They had one child together, and, and they just last week had their, their second. She, had, she was a tattoo artist. She had the tattoos all over. And, and you know, it's just I'm not against tattoos. I'm, I don't have any. Uh, will I ever get one? Um, if I do, it'll stay right here. I don't like tattoos. I, I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Folks. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know what I'm saying? I mean, today it's a culture that we're living in. But, I mean, we're talking about this is tattooed all over. But yet they started coming to church, and I watched the people as they came and sat down. Now, they didn't create a scene, and they didn't you know, do anything, uh, you know, unnecessary. They'd come in. They'd sit down and... Uh, you know, they, he wouldn't leave the seat, but she'd come in, bring her offering and so forth. And, but very nice people. But, you know, I had to look beyond the outward to see the spirit man. And as we're talking in the office, I'm thinking, I've got, I've got to really push this guy's buttons. Because it's sounding too good to be true. This guy is sounding like a very mature Christian. He was rightly dividing the Word of God. He knew the Word of God. He was applying the Word of God. His ministry, he felt, was to reach to the motorcycle. He's part of a, a, a group that reaches out to motorcycles. I cannot walk into a bar with these cyclists and say, Jesus saves. Understand what I'm saying? He can. And so, I'm listening. I thought, this is a seasoned Christian. But, you know, I could have missed all that by judging the outward. I could have missed it by looking at them on the outside and saying, oh, boys, oh, boys, what do we have here? You know, it's been over a year and they've been coming to church. I have not found anything unscriptural yet. You know what I'm saying? But again, we have to look. 
And what I did is I blessed them. I prayed for them. I encouraged them. You know, now they're not making any scene. They're not coming in and trying to take over a church or anything like that. They just come in, do their stuff, but they know their place in the kingdom. But the church could miss it. I remember talking to an old, an old preacher. He was in his 80s when he shared this. He said, it's amazing how our thinking changes as we get older. The things that we were so sold out on and, and, you know, convicted on in Scripture changes. And he was referring to his daughters. They were very straight-laced Pentecostal people. The daughters were not allowed to wear, you know, pants and, and no jewelry, no makeup and so forth. And now these daughters, of course, when I talked to this man, they were in their 40s. But he said, you know, my thinking changes. They became teenagers. He said, you know, it didn't matter what dad believed. What they wanted was answers. Dad, show me in the word. Now, they, they were allowed to wear the pants, the makeup, the jewelry, and so forth. Dad changed his mind. Why? Because dad allowed himself to be, please hear me now, a Christian in attitude instead of being dogmatic and straight-laced and missing the spirit of the word. Some of you will get that later. Words, I've seen preachers, I've seen Christian parents drive their kids away from God because of using wrong words. Sometimes, you know, as parents, we don't even have to say a word. A look will do it. <laughs> a look. My oldest daughter tried to, um, you know, kids don't think that their parents are smart until they become parents. You know that, right? My daughter was, I think, 16 or 17 and got ready and told us she was going to a friend's house. There was a little gathering at the friend's house and so forth. And being the nice dad that I am, very lenient, I check things out. Well, you don't trust your daughter? She's a teenager. I made a phone call. No, they're not here. They went to Mars Hill. Oh, what's going on in Mars Hill? Well, there's a high school dance. Oh, Dad felt the need to go to Mars Hill. Are you against dances? We're not, that's not the message today. I went to Mars Hill. Didn't even have to go into the gym. One of her friends saw me. Went and said, Melissa, your dad is here. She came out. She knew exactly what I wanted. Walked out of the building. Got in the car. We drove home. It was so simple. It's so simple. You know? The words, I could, have, I could have embarrassed her. I could have crushed her. I could have sassed her in public. I've seen parents do that. Embarrass the life out of their kids. Words kill. And the kids have not responded well since then. But I chose to do things in the proper way. Now, my daughter's not mad at me. She still thinks that she's not my favorite. But I've got four kids. You know, they're, all, they're all competing for that position. Favorite child. I'm almost done. I've got several more points, but I'm almost done. I want you to understand that the the life as a Christian, some of you see this, but it's a challenge every day. As he is, so are we in this life. I want to be like Christ in this life. I don't want to be like me. I want to be like Christ. I want to be the person, the person that he has called me to be, living the life that he wants me to live, and also to dream big. As a man thinks, so is he. 
As a young Christian, I said, I will not be, and please pardon this, but I will not be a normal Christian, whatever normal is. I want to be an abnormal Christian. There's a difference. I don't just want to be somebody who's just going with the flow. I want to be the best that God wants me to be. As a man thinks, so is he. My desire today is that every one of us will be in that place where... And I'm just going to quickly share one more. I need to share this one and close with this. As a Christian, we are called to be a blessing. And I'm going to share it this way. What you make happen for you, excuse me, for others, God will make happen for you. The principle of sowing and reaping. You help people, guess what? People are going to help you. It's that same principle. What you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. Give and it shall be given to you. I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about our lives. Giving, giving. Some of you have poured into people. Some of you have given to people. Some of you have helped people. And it seems that there's no harvest. There's nothing growing. The seed went in the ground and so forth. There's nothing happening. Don't worry about it. God has seen it. What you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. You will reap what you sow. Whatever that may be. You sow good, you're reaping good. You sow evil, you reap evil. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. So, if I'm willing to do this, I will see God move in my life. Uh, Galatians 6-7, out of the Phillips translation, says this. A man's harvest in life depends entirely on the seed he sows. Going back to the farmer, I've been watching them. I know this fall that those farmers who planted potato seed are going to expect potatoes in the field. That's the harvest. As I begin to sow what God wants me to sow, I will reap what God wants me to reap. As a man thinks, so is he. As he is, so are we. Amen? Let's stand together, please.